So we have uh, one, of the, uh, one of the beautiful verses in the scriptures. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger. Especially when the messenger has good socks on. I don't know if you can see that, but... Yeah. All right, so my last reference to, to last night's events. But anyway, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger. Um, that's going to come up again um, in, uh, in Paul's writings. He's going to have, uh, he's going to borrow that from Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who proclaims peace brings good news, who proclaims salvation, and who says to Zion, your God rules. This is um, from our prophet Isaiah, as our series on prophets concludes here today, um, with foretold last message, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, and a little bit about this setting. And that first and foremost, um, let's let's place the, the context of, of where this is coming from here in chapter 52. Um, the reading that we have for Christmas Eve night um, was from chapter 9, but more importantly, it was from 700 years before Christ was born. 700 years before Christ was born. Um, and the, a date that you can use as a reference point for all this is it was before the people of God were exiled, before Jerusalem's walls and temple were destroyed and, and they were wiped off the map, which happened in 586 B.C. So our reading on Christmas Eve, 700 roughly, before Christ and the fall of Jerusalem, 586 years before Christ. Now, uh, I tell you that because where we are with this reading today, chapter 52, is we fast forwarded about 200 years um, into the 530s, the 530s, 530 years roughly before Jesus was born. And so the first thing that you'll notice with those time references is that either Isaiah was very old, like 200 years old, when he was writing this chapter, um, or somebody else did in his name. And, and that's what happened, is that these prophets would have schools of students that would follow them and, and learn from them and write from them. And then it was not uncommon in Scripture or you know, just in you know, extra, or just in writing in general, um, or teaching it, to do that in somebody else's name. And so this is um, actually, that happens another time in the book of Isaiah. There's actually three parts of Isaiah from three different uh, time periods. Uh, it's not super important to get wrapped up into that, except for the fact is that um, this is a writing, today's reading, this is a writing, a reading, from when they were actually in exile. They were in Babylon. And so use that language, Babylon. They were in Babylon. Look to your neighbor and say they were in Babylon. 
Because that is going to be uh, one of the most formative places for the people of God to be, uh, both literally and geographically, but much more importantly, uh, metaphorically and um, theologically. They're going to use this um, experience in Babylon. That's a very, very important part of their life and their history. Um, and then going forward, um, we're going to use it as Christians, and people are going to use it um, in any time in your life or in the life of people or societies that felt like they were in bondage or in exile, they're going to use this, this Babylon, Babylon and this exile language. Um, so it's very, very critical and very important. The other reason that it's important to think about them being in exile is that um, they have lost everything. And so if you've ever experienced complete loss in your life, um, that's what they're feeling including they have felt like and they feel like that they've lost God, that God is no longer present with them. Um, because God was wrapped up in the Old Testament with the people of Israel, God was wrapped up, uh, or their identity was God was wrapped, wrapped in Jerusalem. God lived in Jerusalem. And they knew that wasn't the case literally, uh, but it was such a part of who they were and their identity um, that that that's, that's where God lived. So if Jerusalem no longer existed, then God had fled. Um, or, even in more specific or in other ways, God, you know, it was, it was apparent that God lived in the temple, which was in Jerusalem. Or if you want to go down to a more micro level, God lived in the ark, which was in the temple, which was in Jerusalem. And so you'll hear it written all different ways. But the point is still the same. If all that does not exist, or is gone, then the people would naturally think what? God is gone. And so it's a huge part of the makeup of the people. And so this is where they are. They're in a foreign land. Um, some are scattered. Some stayed back and tried to make life good in the ruins. Uh, but nonetheless, they feel like God is gone. Okay. And so now we have Isaiah's um, reading here and writing uh, to people that have experienced that. And they're about ready to come home. And so this is a declaration of you're about ready to return. And so it's good news to people that have experienced this terrible event. And so the reading, let's go through the reading a little bit here. Um, again, we start with the how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger. And this is, again, some beautiful writing. It's also a little bit of irony here. Um, because messengers, especially in the year 536 B.C., had ugly feet. Why were, their, why were their feet ugly? Yeah, all the walking. And they were dirty. And they didn't have great new shoes, uh, fancy shoes. Uh, they probably had lots of blisters and cuts and, and calluses. That's right. Um, that's right. Our, my mother-in-law got us all new shoes. And uh, she must think we had ugly feet or ugly shoes. Uh, but especially the kids, you know, because every time she would ever see our kids, they'd have scuffed up shoes. And she'd get mad at Melissa and I. Like, go buy my baby some shoes. I'll have to edit that out. <laughs> 
but they have favorite shoes that they want to wear. Uh, or in Lydia's case, she can't ever find the new shoes. She can only find the old shoes. Anyway, she bought us all new. But anyway, the messengers had ugly feet. Or, you know, worn feet. Worn feet. Um, and so that, that's, that's part of this here. So how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who proclaims peace, brings good news, who proclaims salvation. The other issue about the feet, before we get into some of these words here, the well, the last time these messengers came to Jerusalem would have been to say the enemy's coming. So in 586, when they're getting ready to have this battle, messengers would have been coming to the city wall and saying, hey, look, all heck's about ready to break loose. The enemy is coming. All right, and so now we fast forward, and now this these messengers are coming, and they're going to proclaim peace. They're going to bring good news, and they're going to proclaim salvation. It's interesting, a couple of these words here that we want to uh, say something about peace, proclaims peace. Um, the actual Hebrew word that's being used here for peace um, and this is kind of semantics, but it's, it is important as well. Um, when Isaiah especially uses this particular word, uh, he's not meaning absence of war. He's not meaning absence of war. You know, war is a historical reality. Um, but proclaiming peace, um, meaning um, wholeness. And so it would be a, a better English word to translate as wholeness. Who proclaims wholeness. Who brings good news? Of course, we're going to. Um, that, that's the Greek word is gospel when we get into the New Testament. Good news is familiar to us. And then who proclaims salvation? And this word salvation um, is a theme for Isaiah, especially here in these middle chapters. This idea of a, another writer writing in the name of Isaiah, we simply call Second Isaiah. Um, Starts in verse or in chapter forty. In chapter forty, we hear "Comfort, O comfort my people." That's where we get that beautiful line: "Comfort, O comfort my people." And it goes to chapter fifty-five. And so there's sixteen chapters um, that during this time period of writing to the people while they're in Babylon. In sixteen chapters, it's over fifty times this word for salvation is used. Fifty times the word salvation is used. For um, in these writings, in 16 small chapters. And so it's a theme, right? Um, and it's a, it's a very full word. And, and so it's not just translated salvation, but sometimes victory. Um, and so in verse 10 here, we're going to have it as victory, but it's the same root word for salvation. Um, all the ends of the earth have seen God's victory or salvation. And so Isaiah is proclaiming salvation. To a hurting, to a broken, to a sick, to a dying, to a destroyed people, over and over again, he's saying, this is not your final answer. Salvation is coming from Yahweh. And so, and then the next verse, or next, the last part of this very long first verse is, your God reigns. Your God reigns. That's the message. And so the messengers come, and they have all this beautiful and poetic and sing-songy language. And so we can get lost in the beautifulness of it. Um, but the message is short and clear and simple. Your God reigns. 
And, and again, that's how it's translated in English. Probably a better way to translate it is um, God is king. God is king. Your God is king. Or the king is coming, even as in some, some uh, people say would be a better way to translate that Hebrew. Your, your, your God, God is coming. God's returning back to Jerusalem. In other words, is what Isaiah is saying. God is coming back to Jerusalem. God is alive. Your God is the king. And again, that's a, that's a motif. That's a, an important part of the Old Testament history. From the very beginning, that's where the people get in trouble. The people get in trouble because they want an earthly king. Um, and they forget over and over again that God is king. And so this is Isaiah's way of saying, hey, look, your God is going to come home once again. Uh, but you must remember that it's God that's king. God reigns. And it's good news. God's not, or Isaiah's not scolding him here. He's proclaiming good news that your God reigns. So then in verse 8, we have listen, you sentinels, sentinels, lookouts, listen. And I want to pause there for a second because this is an important part of the series, or the story here. So the messengers who are coming in with the beautiful feet, they're coming up, um, and they would have been coming again to declare that destruction is coming, the army's coming. Um, they would have come up to those same sentinels who were, and the sentinels would, would be up on the wall. So they'd be sitting up on the wall, lookouts, just say well, lookouts, you can't understand my accent this morning, sentinels, lookouts. So the lookouts would be sitting up on the wall, um, protecting what's behind the wall, the city and the people. And so whenever they would get a message or they, get, they could see something, they turn back and they announce to the city that this is what's happening or this is what's coming. And so the last time the sentinels were at work, when the destruction was being told by the messengers, um, you can imagine you know, how devastated they were. And so, to, and then it also helps us to reflect on um, it, you know, for the sentinels to notice the messenger's feet. They must be in a posture of, of grief. And so, maybe you can't see that. Um, but they have to be down to see the messenger's feet. And so, when they start to hear this bad news or they see the army coming, I mean, they're probably prostrated like this. They're looking down. And that's how, and the only way that you would notice messengers' feet. And so that helps us to think about that. Like, wow, um, we're getting attention drawn to the beautifulness of the, of the messengers' feet. And this, well, the last time these sentinels were at work, it was terrible and awful news. Maybe, just maybe the sentinels have never gotten up. And it's an image... I think that is on purpose for us to think about what kind of state of grief the people were in while they were in Babylon. And so these sentinels notice this time not ugly feet, but they notice beautiful feet of the heralds, of the messengers. And it has nothing to do with the aesthetics of the foot or their footwear. It's all about the message. And they say, sing out together. Right before their eyes, they see the Lord is returning to Zion. Break into song together, you ruins of Jerusalem. And so Isaiah is calling on, or the messengers here, are calling on the crumpled rock and stone, the crumpled wall, the city gates, 
everything that lays in ruins, the temple foundation, calling on all of that to sing out. It's a beautiful passage. The Lord has comforted his people and has redeemed. Jerusalem, the Lord has bared his holy arm, shown his strength. That's a phrase that means the strength of God. In view of all the nations, all the earth have seen God's victory or salvation. All the earth has seen the salvation. And so that's how Isaiah concludes that passage. And so it's wonderful and beautiful and great news to a people that have been hurting and scared and grieving and been down on their knees and in the depths of despair. Have you ever been so grieved or sad that you know you just don't have any reaction other than to hit the floor? That's how they were. And many of us, all of us, um, if you're of a certain age, have, have, have experienced life long enough to have those seasons of, of despair or grief. And, and that's where the people lived. That's how they lived. And they were felt like they were alone, and they felt like they were abandoned by God. And so this great reversal, speaking to a down-and-out people, a beaten-down people like we talked about the other night, this wonderful message of salvation that Isaiah declares to them. And so then we take this message, and, and we have it on the lips of some of the New Testament writers, and it comes to us again on this Christmas celebration, this Christmas uh, morning each year for us. The, we hear the you know the ark or the uh, angels, the harp that herald angels sing um, of this message of peace and, and salvation come to us each and every year. We need to claim it, and so we come um, and we see the beautiful feet of the messengers, the shepherds' feet, which is ironic. The angels' feet, which we expect to be beautiful, I guess, um, and then ultimately we're down on our knees as well. Um, not because of despair um, and ultimately not looking at the messenger's feet but we're down on our knees like the sentinels were um, at the uh, manger of Jesus. And we're down on our knees because we're declaring and claiming these words uh, from Isaiah that our God reigns. Our God reigns in the birth of Jesus the Christ. Jesus is our King. Jesus is our King. And the prophets help us to prepare for that and experience that in some wonderful and beautiful ways. And so we're thankful for this reading today um, that, that kind of brings that to the forefront. That Jesus is King. And so the prophets all along the way that we've studied this month, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Malachi, Micah, and Isaiah, and second Isaiah, again, have all performed various roles of calling us to repentance, helping us to remember, um, to turn back to God, and then ultimately proclaiming here uh, that salvation comes to us when we proclaim and we remember um, that Jesus is King, that God has given us a King his son, Jesus the Christ. And so that's my two days after Christmas message for you and for all of us. And may God be with you through the rest of this Christmas season. We still have a few more days. Nine or ten days of Christmas left. Right? Eight or nine? 
January 6th, Epiphany. January 6th, that's good. All right, do we have another song, or? We can do The Little Town of Bethlehem. Yeah, The Little Town of Bethlehem. <laughs>